0: No Ugly, yes please. No Ugly is created in New Zealand by a small, determined and innovative team whose mission is to eradicate ugly. It's inherent in the ingredients we choose, the products we create and our business values and behaviours. We are proud to be part of the global wellness movement, making a difference for the wellness of our people and our planet, right here from the cleanest, greenest country at the bottom of the world. No Ugly's range of functional beverages are scientifically formulated to get you back to gorgeous. With natural ingredients, they've created a truly functional range of beverages with proven health claims. And unlike any other health drinks, their entire line is low sugar, but taste amazeballs. Get back to gorgeous with No Ugly Skin and 10 grams of marine collagen. Detox, the hangover dream. Hydrate. Like an isotonic rain in the desert. Libido. Yes, yes, yes. Immunity. It's to live for. Sleep. Sweet dreams. Focus. Your personal laser. Gut. For shits and giggles. And now calm. It's like a cuddle from your mum. They have three different formats. 250ml glass bottles. 330ml cans. And now 100ml glass shots. No ugly. Yes, please. This is the I Quit Sugar podcast, unprocessed, brought to you by No Ugly Wellness Tonics.
1: Hi, I'm JJ from I Quit Sugar. And I'm Peter, founder of Goodness Me, which is your go-to good for you grocery store. We're here out of a deep desire to help you live your healthiest life. We've both been through health journeys, which have been transformative in how we live our lives and approach each day. After learning how to manage my autoimmune condition through food and lifestyle, I realized that we live in a world where we are overfed and undernourished, but it can be as easy as some simple changes that can have a huge impact on how your body operates and how you feel day to day. I've also been through a very confusing and oftentimes overwhelming
0: health journey, which started with gut dysbiosis and developed into thyroid issues, and now an autoimmune condition that I'm still learning about. We don't want you guys to go through what we have. It can be a lonely, overwhelming and often conflicting and confusing world. So we're hoping that these conversations inspire you to dig a bit deeper, cut through the noise and help you live a healthier life. Health is wealth at the end of the day. So I Quit Sugar are bringing you an eight episode series where we interview some incredible people who have so much wisdom to share on different areas of health and well-being. It's our hope these conversations inspire you to take control of your health and live your fullest life in the process.
1: Our guest today is Alex Stewart. She is an educator, a change agent who founded Low Tox Life in 2010, after seeing the lack of transparency in our food system, personal care, and cleaning products. She's built a movement that's non-judgmental, positive, and says Low Tox peeps are a force to be reckoned with. She's also a best-selling author of two books, Low Tox Life and Low Tox Food, and has over nine online courses. Not only that, but more recently, she's been through a journey with mold illness. And we're so excited to have her here to share some of her story with us today. Alex, thank you for joining us today. It's so wonderful to be here with you guys. A pleasure. We're so excited to have you, Alex. I think last time I saw you, you were taking me on a tour through your pantry. (laughs) That's (laughs) right. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. And I have to say, you truly do live everything that you write about and educate about and was quite amazing. So I have to ask you, what's one ritual that you did
2: this morning to set you up for the day? Oh my goodness. Uh probably my walk. If I don't get that walk in, I just feel like it gives you good juju, gets the energy going through the body. Uh, more for me than anything else, actually. You know, meditation, sure. Yep. Yeah. But if I don't get my walk in, I feel like really stagnant and sluggish. And yeah, that's definitely a ritual.
1: So I think JJ and I have both been hugely beneficial of the courses and educational content that you've created over the past decade. I know your book is really like a wellness Bible. You really have let your mess be your message and helped so many people in the process. So we'd love it if you could take us back to the beginning and talk us through your journey on how you got to be where you are today.
2: Gosh, I mean, it's a bit of a winding road, that's for sure. Uh, and I think there are so many different stages to discovering what it means to be healthy and what it feels like to live a life aligned with nature, which can be even harder for us city peeps to achieve, uh, those of you who are listening who live in urban spaces. Um, I think you can always feel guilty, especially as part of the Instagram uh, family of people and you're watching all of this beautiful homesteading and um, and stuff going on in the country and you think, gosh, should I also be in the country? And sure, like the most natural way to live is on land and, and um and by sea. Uh but we also can't help where we are and we also can't um sometimes change what makes us feel intrinsically like we fit in and feel safe and happy and loving of our surrounds and our village and our community and all the things that humans build up over time. So uh I, I'm all Always quite interested in how we do that in an urban setting because I genuinely feel deeply drawn to city life myself. I just love it, and so can we be low tox uh, in the city? And and so I've had different waves of realization depending on where I've been at in my journey. So at the very start, it was a a very simple how do I stop getting tonsillitis a few times a year? How do I stop getting headaches? Um, You know, because I realized a, none of the things I was doing conventionally were working. uh, And B, I finally realized it wasn't normal. And I actually had a birthright to be far healthier uh, than I was. And and so that led me down the ultra processed food inspection path uh, to letting um, gluten out of my diet. Now, I'm not one of those people who says everybody needs to be gluten free. Uh, it is really a conversation for you and your healthcare professionals uh, that surround you. But for me, gluten's pretty much a disaster, certainly in Australia and America. For some reason, when I'm in France, I'm fine. Uh, which I find fascinating as well. And there's a few theories as to why um, that is. But um, that was very much where it started. So eliminating those ultra-processed foods. And I'm really grateful that 20 years ago when my first naturopath told me to explore going gluten-free, that the only way to do that back then was to quit ultra-processed foods. You know, there was no way to... um, move to gluten-free alternatives like there is today. You can get your gluten-free cheesy puffs, your gluten-free everything, right? So had I had to go gluten-free back then, and there was all the crap that there is today that just has a gluten-free label, Uh, I wouldn't have had that amazing awakening into having to learn how to cook to make things delicious, having to strip back all of that packaged food and go to whole foods. So I'm eternally grateful of the timeline at which that challenge presented itself. And then the next sort of evolution of that was looking at personal care and cleaning products. And part of that was my own exploration into fragrance, which I started to realize might be contributing to my headaches, but also into having a baby. And, um, you know, Peter, you know what that's like, your, your mama dial uh, goes all the way up on the volume scale and you are making sure you're doing everything right and not contaminating your beautiful, perfect little individual with anything that shouldn't be there. And, and so that was a whole other wave. And then everything was fine and dandy for a few years, super healthy, everything going well, uh, started low-tox life, started educating people, launched the Go Low-Tox course, which is the ultimate little black book, as you guys know, for um, making all those day-to-day changes. But then I got really sick and I couldn't figure it out, Um It was so bad that I thought, gosh, if I stay this sick and it keep getting this much worse and worse, I'm going to die and never have any idea what happened to me. Like why? And no one could figure it out. And for the first time in my life I'd go to see my naturopath and the things that would be suggested would make me even worse. Same with uh, an integrative doctor I saw at the time. And it was basically because no one at any point in the journey at that stage had ever asked me, So what's your home like? You know, do you have, have you got any uh, old paint? Have you got any uh, mold that you can see? Is there a musty smell? Uh, Do you live near phone towers? Like, could there be any external aspects to your home life that are beyond what you're putting in and on your body? Because yes, that's a huge piece of the puzzle. But in terms of diagnostic care, we should also be asking, tell me about your home. Um, and, uh, and that's not quite where we're at yet. It's getting better and better. Um, but back then, seven years ago, it wasn't a question that was asked in traditional or in, um, naturopathy, um, or even integrative doctors. It's really something that's exploded very, very recently. So, uh, I spent a year wondering why I felt like I was going to die and why no one could help me, uh, and spent so much money. And I, I was so intrigued as to how someone could be made to spend, like, I think I spent about 20 grand on different tests and specialists and supplements and medication. Like, I was willing to try anything. Um, and how could you have that and not know what was wrong with you? It's like I needed Dr. House and his team to jump out of the TV show and come and work on me for a week and figure out what was going on, but no such people existed in real life. So... That was really tough. Uh, But finally on some strange forum in the middle of the night coming across a group of people who were talking about all these histamine issues, which I was having, and linking it to mould was the first time I sort of had a little, oh, yeah, well, we did have that leak when we first moved in here a few years ago. And and then the realisation that you don't always see mould, it's sometimes growing in the walls. You don't get that. Um, you know, bust in with a current affair camera crew, black, moldy, furry walls type vibe. It can actually be quite well hidden and um, your your apartment can look or home can look really lovely and can actually still be extremely toxic, unfortunately. So that was the next wave of lessons. And um, through that journey, uh, I I just decided I had to talk about it. Uh, you yeah, know, I went through an initial phase of shame, like I'm the low-tox queen, I literally invented the term and now I'm super sick and can't get better. And I, I went quite um, far inward in, in that um, process and and felt really alone and um, like a bit of a sham, still teaching people how to feel their best selves when I was literally falling apart and, um, But humans are humans and actually none of us go through life with this perfect record of zero challenges. And if we embrace those challenges, we start talking about the challenges, chances are you can actually find people to help along the way. And so I did, you know, I had to go on a book tour and Uh, and I started being really honest and sharing just how bad things had been. And through that people started connecting with me and saying, oh my gosh, I think you've saved my life. I had no idea what I was going through. And we finally figured out it was the rising damp or it was the roof leak that we didn't fix because we didn't think it was that big a deal. And then mold started growing all over the place. So, um, yeah, wow. It's been huge. And to see mould come into its own as a topic that's discussed in integrative medicine um, and even uh, with uh, GPs. Recently I was um, visiting my GP for for something and and he said, um, what are you up to this weekend? I said, I'm giving you a TED Talk. And he's like, oh, wow, what's the subject? I said, I- I'm talking on mould. And he's like, Oh, thank God. And I was like, What do you mean, thank God? He's like, Well, we we all wanna help people, um, but we don't have the tools. And uh I for one know that the tools are very expensive and inaccessible and you get nothing back because it's not A diagnosable disease. Mm. So when something is a syndrome, which when you are genetically um, and immunologically impacted by mold in the way that I am, and roughly 25% of people are, um, you get. Branded, I guess, with a syndrome kind of like chronic fatigue syndrome. So this one's chronic inflammatory response syndrome, where basically it's a multi-system body disorder that like your whole body just goes completely haywire from heart stuff to neurological stuff, depending on the type of mold you've been exposed to and depending on any predispositions each individual has. So it's super tricky to diagnose from that point of view, because different people are affected differently. It's not linear. Um, And, And so syndromes don't have a diagnose, um, treat and cure pathway in conventional medicine, only diseases do. And so uh, when it's just a syndrome, everyone's just basically stabbing around in the dark. And from what I've found, integrative medicine is the only space that you can really get answers and start to heal. Uh, and things like building biology and remediation and all the things that you can do to your house. So all of this stuff is really expensive. Mm-hmm. and uh, and so it therefore becomes a privilege to be able to heal yourself from something like mold illness, because the single parent in the housing commission, um living in really awful mold, often, um, they can't get any support. They can't get any money back. It's, it's, it's an absolute injustice. And so I really wanted to start talking about the fact that it's hilarious that we have to submit these claims with our insurers when there's been a flood and um, and sometimes your claim doesn't get seen for two weeks. Mould starts growing in two days. So uh, there are a whole bunch of issues around construction and accountability in building and construction, medical and insurance. Yeah, Um, it's massive.
1: It's so interesting. And as you said, such an untouched topic today. Mm. Definitely want to dive a bit deeper into that. I think something you mentioned how going through that health journey where you can't find an answer and feeling that frustration so many people can relate to and then actually working out, okay, I have to do something and finding a practitioner to help you Mm. started the journey. And that's, that's the hard part. And I think Jay and I have both experienced that, that integrative medicine really is what can help you, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not so, not so easy to find. So on that topic, I suppose um, the last few years we've found, particularly in the east coast of Australia, there's been so much rainfall. And as a result, there's been a lot of these areas having to deal with mold in some sort of capacity. Mm -hmm. So given the whole mold illness that you've had affecting your health, we'd love you to talk us through some of the symptoms that Mm you experienced and also how you came to realize that mold was really the straw that broke the camel's back for you.
2: Yeah. Uh, so I think one of the earliest symptoms I remembered was getting to a point when I, my nervous system was super, um, excited, uh, and I don't mean in a good way, um, more like in a way where you can't relax. Uh, so excitatory, um, uh, symptoms like when I would just do something really simple, like sit down on the couch and read my boy a book, um, Just putting that effort into the reading, I would notice that I would need to take a whole bunch of like forced deep breaths afterwards to just kind of come down a few notches, just from reading a book to my baby Mm -hmm. Uh, or that my husband would come around into the bedroom area from the kitchen area and I would be going from the bedroom area to the kitchen area and just crossing each other, like so him just being in an unexpected pathway of mine made me jump and I would then get like heart palpitations. That's not a normal response when you're walking past a family member in your own home, right? Um, I was just like, my God, what is that? This is crazy. And then the weight started creeping on a weight that I just could not shift. And I was a very healthy person going to the gym several times a week, lots of outside time, walking my bub in the stroller a lot, you know, a lot of movement, very good diet. And, uh, and yet weight was, um, piling on. Uh, so that resistant weight loss picture, you know, and and these sorts of things can be chalked up to. Oh, you've just started a business recently, you've got a little barb, like, you know, that's mm-hmm. you just gotta chill, you just gotta relax more here. Let's do some passion flower, which is all very well-meaning and lovely. Um, and could well be the cause for those sorts of symptoms in those early stages. But again, if someone had asked, how's your home? Um, in these early stages, we could maybe have avoided me going into a full cascade of inflammatory responses. So the next thing I noticed, I my eye started tearing, like it would just not stop. And what was interesting was when I went to Mauritius for my cousin's wedding, it stopped. I was like, oh, thank God, whatever that was, that was so annoying because, uh, you know, I'm a public speaker, you're just like, Having to kind of subtly wipe your eye five billion times during a talk was not ideal. And then um, I came home and it started again a couple of days later. I was like, oh, gosh, I've got to get this sorted out. So then you go to the ophthalmologist and then she did this test where you inject saline into the tear ducts. That's a really fun test. It feels very awkward. Um, But uh, the saline down the right side would just kind of spit all back up, whereas the other one would go down as it should. So she then said, oh, my gosh, you've got a blocked tear duct. That's not something I can deal with. Off you go to the oculoplastic surgeon. And so then went to um, this guy and he does all his tests. And I said, you know, something really strange is that I went to Mauritius it stopped there, came back, and it started again. Like, why was my tear? I not tearing there, and then it came back. And he he just kind of said, maybe it's just the salt water swims and and um, it was flushing better. I was like, okay, but you know, when you're at the surgeon level, you kind of just start trusting what they say. <laughs> um, and and my um. My ability to problem solve, and I've got a really good one, had reached a dead end anyway on that. So I, I couldn't figure anything out. Um, so I got surgery where they unblocked the tear duct and put a stent in and uh, and then had the stent removed six weeks later and it held. Um and then after that surgery, so I think one of the straws that broke the camel's back was also the um, having a general, like general anaesthetics are pretty intense whack of chemicals. And if you're already a very burdened system, which as we later found out I was from mould, any kind of big hit of anything can tip you over the edge. So I started getting heart palpitations. Then I started getting ectopic beats, like my heart would just start skipping and then thumping and then stopping and then starting and... And things like my husband just rolling over in bed would wake me up into a full-blown panic attack. And then my heart would be like racing tachycardic for four hours before it would calm down. And then it'd be like 7am and I'd have to get up anyway to take Seb to school. And then my muscles just all started hurting and I started to feel really weak. So, you know, that way when you, you've you had an infection and your mitochondria is a bit low, your, your little batteries that power your cells. And even just walking up the stairs, your, all your limbs just feel like lead for a few days until you're over the infection, you feel good again. It was that, but all the time. and um, And all of a sudden I didn't recover from exercise. So if I played tennis or went for a walk, my heart rate would stay high for 12 hours before um, starting to come down. And I had to be very still to not aggravate my heart. And I had a ton of tests, every test you could imagine at a cardiologist's, and um, the guy actually said to me, um, and and women often get gaslit in medical um, systems, I have to say. I've definitely experienced myself. My mum has. Um he said to me, "It's look, it's pretty normal for women over forty. I had just turned forty, by the way, to um, start having a few irregularities with their heart and yeah. and I, I mean, I honestly felt like I was dying, especially with all the muscular stuff. It was just so. It was like everything was piling on. I'm like, how can you say that? It's it's insane to me how that could be said to someone and and then." I started getting really bad electric shocks and shooting pains. Um, my gut was just like this brick of cement in my stomach that just did not move. Uh, and then then the neurological stuff started, and that's when it got really scary. So first thing I noticed was odd, like little muscle spasms involuntary, and then little muscle twitches. Um Now, you don't want to be Googling any of this stuff because um, all you find is like that you're going to die, that you have a terminal disease and you will die. And uh, my heart goes out to the people who actually do have these terminal diseases and will uh, eventually die because I I can't imagine what that would feel like. Um, For some reason, I had this little glimmer of hope the whole way because it was it just felt so much like a, a cascade of things um that I thought there must be some sort of chain of events that has caused, I just knew that it was not something in my body that was wrong, but it was something that was stressing my body out that much. I could kind of, it was literally just, I could feel it in my bones. I can't explain why I trusted that, but I did. And so The beauty of um, being this unwell and being raised into this level of panic and being awake for that many hours every night because you literally, I just couldn't sleep because my heartbeat was so intense, um, was research. I would just trawl the internet for hours trying to see if there was something I could find. And I found a couple of really interesting chronic disease specialists, like investigative specialists over in the U.S., I had started to piece together histamine uh, because I started to notice I got palpitations really badly after eating. Um, And I was eating things like bone broth-based soups and uh, lots of fermented foods. And, of course, this is all packed with histamines, uh, especially if you don't know how to um, lower histamines in those foods. Um, And so things that I had traditionally thought and felt very healthy um, eating and, uh, and all of a sudden they felt like poison to me. And, and so the histamine piece was interesting because I started to eat very low histamine food. Like I'd get the butcher to split the mints open the, you know, the little pile of mints at a butcher so that, that he would grab like fistfuls of it and put them in little freezer bags, individual sizes, I'd put those straight in the freezer and I would defrost that and just have it with some rocket salad, um was a tiny bit of vinaigrette and it would be lemon, not um, vinegar, because uh, I couldn't eat that anymore. And noticed that then I wouldn't have this crazy heartbeat. So I'm like, okay, so what causes high histamine? What are some of the things? And that's when I found mold. That's when I had the appointment with a, a wonderful doctor over in the States, which was another $750. You know, these things just add up. Thank God I had my own business and ability to to. At delegate and work, um, without being on, um, myself the whole time, because, uh, if you were a nine to fiver, this is, this is not an illness you want to get because the money runs out, the job ends because you literally can't work. And then that's it. You know, you're on your own. And a lot of people I know have been forced into poverty with mold illness. Um, I see this guy, He asks me, I remember filling out the patient intake form. It took me like three hours. It was that detailed. And there were so many questions about my childhood, so many questions about um, fluctuating weight, and then questions around home and fluctuating health. And I can literally plot the water damaged or damp homes that I've lived in with being puffy and overweight, and then fine and not and puffy, you know, right? And fine and not. And um, you know, when my detox my when my, my tox burden was much lower as a kid because it just is, you don't know, have all the accumulated stuff that you get by the time you're an adult. I was obviously able to just rise and fall with those good houses and not so good houses. But this was, you know, the perfect storm, the general anesthetic. The several years in a toxic home and a specific couple of molds that were super toxic, and uh, and so there began the journey and towards when it when I was really really bad and before I started being able to um, take any supplements that were specific to healing. I remember not being able to talk properly. Like my tongue was kind of in the way of speech. And also I would just forget words. I would say pass me the, and it would take me like five seconds to remember the word salt Um, or things would just start spontaneously dropping out of my hands. Uh, Super scary stuff. Like I would not wish any of this on anyone because it's serious torture, especially to just not even know. Like, and then, weird socially to not know what's wrong with you because other people need definitions to know how they need to interact with you. So I noticed a lot of friends dropped off the radar and it's the people who've been through serious shit themselves that are able to rise to going, oh, far out, that's a human in trouble. Like, okay, can I take your son after school? You know, and it was a dad randomly who had been through alcoholism and addiction and And he just saved the day, Uh, this random dad that I wasn't even close to. He saw I was struggling that badly and just knew that I needed some support. And um, those people come out of the woodworks, even though other people feel uncomfortable about illness, especially when, you know, it's not like, oh, you've got cancer. Okay, I'm going to make the meal for the kids. I'm going to come. Like we need definitions as humans to feel like we can make sense of things and know what our role is then in those things. But chronic and bizarre illnesses, Um, We're a lot less good at um, supporting, I think, because we don't understand. And when you're really ill, you don't know how to ask for help. (laughs) You don't even have time to ask for help. You're just trying to get through the day. Um, So, yeah, it was a really dark time. But to then start unpacking mould and realise that, yes, we needed to get out of our house. We did an ERMI test, which is a PCR test that helps you identify several types of mould and um, the the levels that exist in the dust. Um, And uh, and then we sure enough found one that was particularly neurotoxic, ketomium mould, and the other one that's particularly toxic to the respiratory system, uh, aspergillus. Uh, and so we I, we didn't have any Stachybotrys, which is another really toxic black mold, but we did have the other two. So um, then began the journey of learning that some of our possessions were going to have to be left behind, like all the soft furnishing stuff that mold can grow right into cushions, mattresses, pillows, dunas, um, sofas, that kind of thing. Um So then there's this cost, there's the replacing all your stuff cost. Um, It's a really exciting thing when you first move out of home, Uh, but it's not exciting when you have to move seven times in 15 months, which we did a couple of years ago and had to replace everything twice again. Um, So this thing has come back to haunt us a couple of times and, and I think the financial implication is really intense. You know, we had savings, we were ready to put a deposit down, and then this came along, and everything was gone. Just didn't have that kind of cash anymore. Um, and uh, and and because you can't hold anyone accountable in any of those industries that I mentioned, uh, you are on your own to sort it all out. So it takes an incredible amount of resolve and strength. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger oh, my God, mould illness. That is definitely an example of that. But sure enough, um, started to work on the nervous system. So huge doses of liposomal B12 um, and the twitching started to go down even while I was still living in the um, water-damaged home. um, Started taking binders, having a play with which ones, like there are clays, there are charcoals. Uh, there's um, citrus pectin, a few different types of binders, and it often takes a while to find the one that works for you. For me, charcoal was absolutely the best. Um, there's a medication binder called cholestyramine that some of the doctors put patients on, but it was too strong for me. Um, so I was grateful for charcoal. And and then the toxic burden starts to go. And then, of course, you have to move it out. Um, a lot of people with mold illness are super constipated, Um and, uh, and then you need to take things like magnesium oxide to make sure you're actually moving the mold that's been bound by the charcoal out. Cause you don't want it to then be recirculated. So there's so much to learn. And, um, you know, you feel like you end up with like this bizarre unnamed degree on mold <laughs> at the end of it. Like I could just talk about so many different aspects of mold. It's crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, that's what I had to do because this is not something that anyone studies in med school. So, um, you know, thankfully there are doctors who've taken it upon themselves to learn as much as they can to start supporting more patients because, um, we do not have the home or even the suburb. You think about like allergies and hay fevers to, Trees and Mm -hmm. let's try and figure out what tree is causing all of these symptoms instead of a lifetime of Telfast. Um, So many things that are environmental that we just don't have in our diagnostic procedures um, that are taught. So
1: yeah mm. absolutely and i mean i think with any illness it's so important you need that support then as you said mm. being, you know, it's not just in your mind and the other other partner to to understand it but that sounds really scary and awful and mm. the fact that you almost have to be like a detective to figure out what's going on and I've while been, you're super unwell yeah well yes yeah. and feeling like you you have to advocate for yourself when you're with doctors mm. or practitioners i know i found that really difficult. Myself, mm. but it's something you have to do if you don't feel that it's right because you know your own body better than yeah. one.
0: When your boss forces you to work overtime and work weekends and work too many all-nighters, you start to feel like chucking your job in, right? Well, that's exactly how your liver feels. And if you want your liver to keep working for you, you'd best treat it to some liver-loving No Ugly Detox. No Ugly Detox contains 2,000 milligrams of prickly pear cactus per serve which is nectar of the gods, to any liver trapped in an abusive relationship. It also has 125 milligrams of choline to help maintain normal liver function, vitamin E to help reduce oxidative stress, lemon balm, which looks like mint but works like magic, plus a whole raft of minerals and vitamins and polyphenols to help make your liver feel special. No Ugly Detox, making ugly gorgeous since
1: 2020. If listeners out there think that they might have mold in their home, or they want to, they want to see if they do. Other than the the test, the PCR test you recommended, what else can they do to
2: look for it or test for it? There's a bunch of things you can do because uh, there are some really obvious things. Like a smell is obviously the most. Um, indicative of whether you have a mold problem. If you open a cupboard under the sink, you think, "Oh, mm, musty, like we've got to stop thinking that those musty smells or the black mold that you see in the bathroom is just annoying. We have to see it and believe it is a health hazard. And act accordingly. Like how many times does someone think, oh, there's a leak in the... Yeah, I'll deal with it after Christmas. I don't really want to spend the money right now. Mold starts growing after 48 hours of a leak. And if there's one takeaway for anyone who owns their home or for anyone who um, rents and has maybe a um, landlord who doesn't want to do anything about it straight away, but you've got a few hundred bucks, like just get the trade in and get the leak fixed. It's worth it. Um, you know, it's much cheaper than moving house and having a whole bunch of mold problems and having to change all your furniture. So I say to everybody, whether you own or don't, um, to really prioritize as soon as you see a leak a leak in a roof, if you're on a top floor, if you're in a house can look like a tea stain kind of thing that appears on your ceiling. Um, and that's usually just a cracked tile. you know, the amount of times my husband's just jumped into the roof and sealed it up with silicone. Um, it's not something I feel qualified to do, but he's one of those handy dudes who loves doing all that kind of stuff. And Um, And so, you know, just nip things in the bud when you think there's a little leaky problem and it will cost you way less your health, your rental costs and moving uh, or your homeowner costs and investment properties if you get a report through your agent. Um, and, And then other things, bubbling paint a massive red flag if you start to see a lot of peeling paint, bubbling paint, especially you'll see it like on the other side of a wall that has a kitchen or a bathroom. Uh, So anywhere there's plumbing, basically, uh, you always want to keep an eye on the wall on the other side. So don't have those spaces with furniture pushed up to the wall um, on the other side, because you want to be able to see the wall spaces so that you actually can see when issues pop up and get to them early. Uh, Cause once you start having to remediate whole rooms and pull down drywall and, and replace every possession in that room, it starts to get super expensive. So um, yeah, bubbling paint is another one. Um, and then another one is to like, maybe you don't have leaks, but maybe you live somewhere humid. Peter, you you mentioned the East Coast and this inconscionable, like just crazy amount of rain that we have had the last couple of years, uh, which a lot of people don't understand. And, yes, there are weather systems that move um, these patterns in and out of, um, of our spaces geographically. But what we're experiencing now with climate change is higher levels of precipitation in the atmosphere, in coastal areas, which means when these weather systems do come through, we get these bombs, like full-on rain bombs, crazy sideways rain, like really heavy. Um, our houses aren't built for that. So uh, that there's the increased potential of leaks, but there's also a lot more humidity. and um, And, you know, January, February, early March in Sydney are way different to when I was a kid. Um, it was much, much drier and now it's really humid. Um, and uh, and so having something like a hygrometer, which is basically a little, you can get a digital hygrometer at your hardware store, you stick it on the fridge and it monitors your indoor air humidity. A lot of people think, oh, I'm going to open up all my windows because it's humid in here. And that's one of the worst things you can do if you have a lot of rain because It's 95% humidity out there because it's raining. So that humidity is also going to come inside and increase and people, you'll get that sensation like everything's just a bit damp when you sit down on the couch. It doesn't feel crisp. The carpet under your feet will feel just a bit damp as well. And so will your sheets when you get into bed. So what do we do? about that indoor air humidity. It's not a leak. That's the good news. You've checked all of those um, red flags, but it's just humidity. So getting a dehumidifier or three, depending on the size of your home or the, um, the expanse of your spaces, like a lot of New places are built with um, kitchen, living, dining, all those big open spaces. And if you've got that, you might need two units in that space to bring the humidity below 60%. Mm -hmm. Below 60%, mould will have a very hard time trying to grow. Uh, And that's what you need to actually suck up all the moisture. And I can't tell you the amount of people who get dehumidifiers and go, oh, my gosh, this is a game changer. Everything, like, I can't believe it's filling up twice a day. Um, and, And so... About 50% of us have mould problems that have nothing to do with water leaks. So that's the good news is that they are entirely preventable with dehumidification. Some um, uh, split system and aircon systems have dehumidifying functions. Uh, You want to make sure where those are draining to and that you're cleaning them every six months, getting them properly serviced. But if you don't have one of those, then you need the dehumidifier unit. It is honestly game-changing to to get dehumidifiers. Uh, A lot of people write to me and say, how do I get the mold out of my bathroom? I say, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to hire a tradie. You're going to strip all the grout, strip all the silicone and replace it. Make sure it's brand new, perfect, really well sealed. Then you're going to get a little compact dehumidifying unit, a 16-liter unit, for example, Uh, and stick it in your bathroom. It's going to live there. Every time the families have their showers afterwards, you're going to run that dehumidifier for two, three hours tops. It's going to make the bathroom bone dry and you are never going to have mold grow in there again. How's that? (laughs) no more exit this crap that you know all those things don't work anyway they're full of water water is a food source for mold um the compounds like chlorine can actually aggravate fungi and make them stronger kind of like antibiotics can do to um, bacteria over time and so you actually just want a preventative strategy for your indoor spaces that's the most important thing you can do Um, A lot of people don't realise that waterproofing in bathrooms, things like silicone, things like around the sink in a kitchen, they need replacing every few years or if you notice a gap. Um, You don't, as soon as you see a chipped tile, like that needs to be dealt with that week, not, oh, you know, when I've got a bit more money, I actually want to buy a handbag this week. no. Forget the handbag, <laughs> fix the tile, um, because mold illness is not something you want. And, uh, and and trust me when I say it's way more expensive than a chip tile. If I can, if I can just imprint that, let's prevent. Uh, idea on people's minds so that I stop getting DMs about clove oil and vinegar and all the things I mean it's just like none of it works none of it works you have to remove mold and then prevent it from coming back that's what works that was going to be my next question
0: so we know that bleach doesn't work and Mm -hmm. then a lot of people are preaching the vinegar clove oil you can't buy clove oil anywhere because everyone's dealing with mold yeah clean it off. So that even that, so what if you are in a humid environment or Mm. you you have experienced some rain bombs and you're you're noticing some, I don't know, some growth on your wall, for example, you know, you don't have a leak.
2: Do you clean it off or... Yeah, look, definitely like one of my favourite things is concrobium, which you get from the hardware store. It's a water encapsulator that you spray it on, leave it for 20 minutes and then wipe everything off. Please wear a mask, N95 at the absolute minimum when you're cleaning mould. I was even just dusting recently. We did a really deep clean, a bit of a spring clean, I stupidly didn't wear a mask and that set me off with mold symptoms. It's probably just a little tiny bit here and there. I've totally settled down now, but um, we just don't think of these things as hazardous, but they they are. They're not natural for us to be breathing in and um, putting in our lung spaces, which then go into our bloodstream and all the rest. So wear your N95 mask, get your concrobium. You could also do a vinegar 80 to 20 um, ratio um, to wipe the surface mould away. But, again, I would say tiles would be better than a porous drywall because drywall is very, very porous and so vinegar is very high in water. Um, So it's just not the best solution. Concrobium at a minimum, but please get a dehumidifier to dry those walls out, even if you've used vinegar or concrobium because they'll be wet. Um, so you really do need to to um to use something like that. Um, with your clothes,, uh, my favorite thing is to get anything that isn't obviously not um, Dry clean kind of, kind of clothes. You could dry clean a couple of times, and that usually tends to demold pretty well. Because unfortunately, with dry cleaning, there's some pretty toxic chemicals, that they they happen to work. Um, but I have found for anything that you can chuck in the wash, you have to do a three wash um, system. So if you like open your um, cupboards and you're like, ah, eh, it's a bit musty. It's actually often the clothes um, that have just gathered too much moisture over too long. So first wash you're going to do, all hot washes, is going to be a 90-degree wash with a cup of ammonia in it. So definitely have to wear a mask for that. Ammonia is very toxic. It's not low-tox at all, but being mould-free is low-tox, and sometimes we need to make these choices to get to the end goal. So cup of ammonia in your wash, wearing a mask, Um, and then the second wash, you do a cup of borax, um, you can bring it down to 60 degree now, and then you can just do a regular wash with your low tox wash to just make sure all of that's out. I have never had a problem rehabbing my clothes doing it since I started doing that three step three wash um, program, same with sheets, um, and cushion covers. I've been able to demold everything in that space. So that's good news uh, because a lot of people think, oh, I've got to throw out anything that's a material, Um, but usually you can save clothes and tea towels and cushion covers if you do it that way. What about shoes? Yeah, shoes are a tough one. Leather is very porous. It gets right in there. I'm afraid that I have had to throw out many shoes and bags um, uh, and I have become such a minimalist. (laughs) (laughs) When, when it comes to shoes and bags, I've literally, I think I've got about, i got two pairs of trainers, one sandals, one slip on closed toe and one high heel. That's it. I've just, that's the shoes. Um, because once you've had to throw things out, I think it just honestly makes you just strip things back. I've got one day bag, one night bag. That's it. No cute little matchy matchies for different outfits. Those days are gone. You can try wiping your leather bag with some concrobium and then putting it out in the sun. Um, But my husband had a pair of black um, shoes. uh, And, yeah, actually his two business shoes weren't salvageable. We tried everything and they just kept reeking of mold. Because if you've got proper leather shoes, they've got that suedey underneath and and it's impossible to get mold out of there. So shoes are often going to have to go.
0: You mentioned the musty smell and that may mm. of like library books or maybe books that you've accumulated over time. Yeah. Bookshelf is one of the mustiest places. Does mm-hmm. that mean that we probably shouldn't hold on to
2: things like that? It does. We had to get rid of all of our books, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, And you know, like you could, if they've been closed and not regularly open, closed, open, closed, you could try doing the spine and and getting rid of all the covers, especially like really pretty coffee table books and things like that that don't get opened. Um, It could be that they could be saved. Um, And, uh, yeah, it's, I don't want to say it's a definite just chuck everything out. Um, but if you've been somewhere and it's been really water damaged and you've been really sick, um, your health is probably more important than any books you manage to collect.
1: So Alex, I've got to ask you about traveling as well. We mm. got an Airbnb a few months ago and we had a completely sleepless night. My daughter Marley was up literally all night. She's like and the next morning I woke up, opened the wardrobe and there was this huge growth of mould oh in there. It was it was enormous. Can something like that affect you within one day and what would you do if you're, if you're travelling and something like that happens?
2: It depends on who you are and it depends on your toxic burden. It depends on your genetics. My immune system uh, does not recognise mould as a toxin, so it just comes and makes a bed and lies in it in my body and just starts to grow. Uh, the next person might just have a shitty night get back to their normal life. Body starts doing its work, detoxing. Like, were you fine a couple of days after? A couple of days after, but for the first
1: two days, I didn't feel, I didn't feel great.
2: Yeah. So your body was dealing with it, right? My body wouldn't deal with it. It would start sending off all the alarm bells and I would need to take like a week or two of charcoal to get out of that situation because, um, Genetically and immunologically, it, it's just my body doesn't have the language to start dealing with it on its own. I have to help it along and move it out um, mechanically, if you like. So it depends on the person. But for travelling, I tend to find hotels safer personally. Um, Airbnbs are often locked up for months and weeks, especially after COVID. Um. Uh, and there can be some real issues there. Um, there can be um, some really cute pictures, but then you find out it's a basement apartment when you get there and is an absolute disaster zone or they haven't serviced their econ in three years. You know, we live in a society where everyone's just trying to make as much money as they can and screw the rest, unfortunately. That's just the reality of what's out there, and you have to know that to know what you need to do to mitigate it. So I have particular hotels that I feel safe in. Some of the worst have been regional motels and on my book tours. I've ended up sleeping in my rental car a couple of times um, when it's been really bad because people just don't realise that mould is that bad. Um, and if they can just get that next booking or that other, you know, before – they start to see a lot of complaints on the internet, then they're going to try for it. But I would absolutely say, do not be ashamed of complaining. Do not be ashamed of leaving a bad review for a hotel, motel, Airbnb. The only way we're going to get progress and a higher standard is if people start saying this isn't right. Um, Other tip for traveling is I always say in my booking, Please do not use any fragranced sprays um, the day that you prepare my room. No deodorizers, Um, and just say you're allergic to fragrances and that way, you know, it's an allergy. So people take it seriously and don't be ashamed to say if that hotel room just doesn't feel right, saying I, I need a refund because this isn't this, I don't feel well there. And then if you're, you're somewhere that you just feel like it isn't right, but you can't do anything about it, just try and be outside as much as possible. And if you're super sensitive and you're traveling domestically, consider traveling with an air filter and your own bedding so that at least you've got those emergency surrounds sorted that are going to keep you feeling as good as you can in a not so great space.
1: So if, um, some of our listeners out there are listening to all of this and think, okay, I think I might be impacted by mold or mold illness. Where can they start to start
2: treating it? Like what are the first few steps to start doing? So I would find a practitioner that's mold literate. Um, a lot of people think, oh, I'll just go to an integrative doctor. Or I'll just go to a naturopath and think, oh, because they're alternative, they're going to know. Um, And no, you know, you have to realize that you are the customer and you are allowed to audition people and ask what kind of results they've gotten uh, and how much experience they have in something. So there's a few practitioners who are really, really good and very well versed and you want to find them. So say, have you ever treated uh, patients or clients with um, environmental illnesses um, where did you get your education on mould and the treatment of people affected by mould? Who have you studied under um, so that you can research that? Um, and in what kind of time frame have you seen your clients get well um, and uh, what have been some of the main ways that you've supported them? We'll let you know straight away if someone's really confident in that space or if they start being defensive or don't really have straight answers then you you go on and you find someone else. But there are some amazing doctors at the forefront of supporting people with this. It's getting better and better. Um, some naturopaths who are just incredible, some homeopaths as well. Uh, acupuncturists uh, who support from that nervous system and chi perspective super important for recovery and for metabolism recovery because that gets shot to pieces with mold illness. Whether you're one of the people who lose a ton of weight to become unhealthily underweight or go the other side um, and become overweight, um, it's metabolic repair is a huge part of the process. So really finding those practitioners who understand all the pieces and. To also know there might be more than one practitioner you'll need to see that will get you there um, is is really important. But I just want to also say uh, that it sucks that that's all going to be on your dime and not everyone's going to be able to do everything. Uh, And thank gosh there are free groups like the Toxic Mould Support Group in Australia, which has over 10,000 members now, where you can actually ask questions and see what's worked for other people and And feel supported if you're on a really tight budget and you can, and you have to self heal. There are, there are some amazing resources for that too. Now.
1: Thank you. That's really helpful because often the hardest part is just knowing where. Yeah. So those Mm -hmm. are, those are some great resources there. Um, And, JJ, I feel like we've really just scratched the surface over here. Probably for a whole week about (laughs) this.
2: Yeah, I know. It's one of those three-day seminar type type (laughs) subjects. Yeah.
1: And, I mean, you actually know so much about the wellness space as well. So what we also wanted to ask you is if there was one thing people could implement today, perhaps Mm. apart from mould to better
2: their health, what do you think this should be? It's got to be synthetic fragrance, ditching it air fresheners, scented reeds, scented candles, crazy smelly shampoos, uh, all that kind of stuff to just start chipping away at all of those synthetic fragrance exposures. Um, why? Because most of them contain a chemical um, from the phthalate family and phthalates are hormone disruptors, specifically damaging to the um, our estrogen receptors um, and mimicking or blocking natural production, Uh, a disaster for men and one of the significant reasons why sperm health is declining, but also a disaster for women and estrogen-related cancers and augmenting that risk. So one of the most powerful things we can do is to start recognising how much synthetic fragrance is in our lives, ditching those fabric softeners, and all of that kind of stuff, and uh, and and starting to just reduce that daily body burden um, put on us by synthetic fragrance. That's my number one.
0: Yeah, amazing. Couldn't agree more. I've definitely been down that path through your course years ago, and yeah. I remember that was step one: just remove the the synthetic fragrances and see how you react when you do come in contact with them again. And it's, it's amazing how sensitive you become.
2: Yeah. It's like, we've never lived without the toxin. So we've never known how good we're designed to feel. And my favorite thing about it too, is it's often these add on products that we don't even need in the first place. Mm. So it's actually a really big money saver.
0: Feeds into the minimalist um, Mm. as well. Um, And I know that you mentioned through your journey that becoming gluten-free back when there weren't a heap of options out there kind of forced you into learning how to cook and, and cook from scratch to better your health. We're absolutely all about that and know the power of, of getting people back in the kitchen and giving them the tools to, um, I guess, put their health first. Um, mm. so we'd love to know, is there a meal that's like your go-to or maybe something that was a winner in your household in the past couple of weeks that you've cooked Yeah. Um, Was it? And can you talk us through that so we can inspire our listeners?
2: Uh, One of the, like, biggest fallbacks is when we've done, like, a big uh, roasty kind of dinner with lots of veggies and salad and uh, some sort of a protein like meat, like if we've roasted a chook or whatever, is the next night to then use the leftovers from that meal and make uh, a Vietnamese salad. It's just one of our favourite things to do. So we'll just pull apart chicken that's left Um, uh, do some konjac noodles, uh, and, um, uh, like fresh tomato, fresh basil, fresh mint, fresh Vietnamese mint, if we've got some growing at the time and, uh, some cucumber, grated carrot, just mix it all together and make a a Vietnamese dressing. And it's just, like we play a lot of tennis and we play quite often in the evenings. It's such a lovely, light, but super nourishing meal to come back to and quite easy to prepare like earlier on in the day and and just it's just grating and chopping a bunch of stuff. It's not even hard to prepare. So I think having a really good um, Asian dressing salad is one of the best ways you can actually avoid the takeaway fallback as well because we often order takeaway and all the waste and um, vegetable oil and all the things that come with those, oh, I'll just get that entree and I'll just get the, you know, things that we normally wouldn't get or certainly wouldn't cook. Um, If you have a zingy alternative cuisine something, um, then that's your exciting meal that you can whip up. And humans need excitement, right? So, and I think just learning that, knowing that, and and then organising for it. So that you don't just fall back on the expense and waste and um, unsavoury ingredients that are in a lot of takeaways in excess, then it can be um, a super good way to stay low-tox but have exciting food as well.
0: Yeah, that sounds delicious. And I love that it's utilising the leftovers as well so you are minimizing yeah. waste in that way as
2: well. Mm. So thank you
1: for sharing that. We'll make sure to get the recipe from you and we'll put it on our site. Oh, for sure. Thank you so much. You're such a wealth of knowledge and you've contributed so much to the health and wellness space. Honestly, I know over the years I've pulled out your book so many times. Um, if people would like to find out a bit more about what we've discussed, where would you recommend they
2: go? If you find Lotox life somewhere whether it's the podcast, my books, Uh, the website, Instagram, Low Tox Life as three words is where you can find um, everything that I've ever done and published.
1: Excellent. It was great to chat to you.
2: Awesome to chat to you ladies too.
1: (laughs) See you, Alex. Thanks.
0: Liked this podcast? Please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.